And here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Bible Study Monday, June the 22nd, in the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and as is our custom, we take a look at one of the readings for the following Sunday, which is the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, June the 28th. And the readings are from Jeremiah 28, Romans 7, and Matthew 10. We're going to take a look at Romans 7, one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, because it is so theologically helpful to understand, as the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, helps us to get a better, shall we say, understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, it's really difficult for me to understand God's language. He has a language that he has to change to help us to understand it when he speaks to human beings. In other words, he refers to himself as Father. Now, that doesn't have all the aspects of Father, We're not begotten by him. There's only one begotten. But we are, as children of God, having God the Father as our Father through adoption. So that's kind of an analogy that God likes to use. Well, we also have an analogy that Paul begins Romans 7. And you'll understand pretty soon why he uses this analogy. He begins by talking about something that everybody is aware of. Do you not know, brothers, this shows he's talking to Christians, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Okay, there's the analogy. So first of all, Paul's going to explain what he means by that, that the brothers are aware of. Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. This is Romans 7. And he continues with verse 3 to show how she is not released from the law if her husband is still alive. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So there's the analogy or extended metaphor that Paul wants to use. But how is he going to use it? Is he just simply going to say that we also are under the law until the time that we die? Well, let's listen to what he has to say. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law 
through the body of Christ. Do you understand that? Paul isn't using the analogy to talk about when we die mortally, we are no longer under the law because we're in the grave. No. He's not talking about mortal death. He's talking about spiritual death. That right now, as Christians, we also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Now, that could be really misunderstood. There are theologians who say, see, we don't have to obey the law of God anymore. We've died to the law, so just like a married woman is no longer bound by the law when her husband dies, she can marry someone else. So also we, who believe in Jesus Christ, have died to the law so that the law no longer is necessary in our lives. We no longer follow the law, these people are saying, as to how we are to behave, but we follow the Holy Spirit within us. And how many times have we heard that, especially in this society, where you have women who say, well, maybe abortion is against the fifth commandment, But now that I'm a Christian, I've died to the law. And the Holy Spirit tells me that I'm able to abort my baby if I have a bigger cause. Or, well, I know that the Bible is pretty clear that homosexuality is an offense to God. But we've died to the law, so we don't have to follow it anymore. And the Holy Spirit has given me the indication that if you really love someone, then homosexual behavior is no longer a sin because we've died to the law. That's not what Paul means at all. He explains, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. What's the difference he's talking about? I'd use Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, to help explain this difference. The the sheep bore fruit. It's called fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not that the sheep did good works that the goats never did. We've mentioned this a number of times because it's so helpful. The goats probably also gave food to the hungry and clothes to the naked and visited people in prison. But they were not bearing fruit for God. They were bearing fruit to make themselves look good. It was out of self-interest. Paul explains that in verse 5, Romans 7. For while we were living in the flesh, notice that's in contrast 
to living in Christ. Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death, not fruit for God. What a difference verse 5 has from verse 4. Now, how does that happen? When we are born due to the human nature of Adam and Eve, we sin. It's called original sin. And what's original sin? Original sin is an attitude on our part to be in rebellion against anybody telling me what I have to do. I've been uh, listening to uh, Britain. You know, they have all these contests with people singing songs. And I've noticed a couple of things. That when someone is singing a song about how independent they are from what somebody is telling them to do, they get a lot more applause. People like that. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to live the life that I want to live. What they don't understand is our sinful passions are aroused by the law, and they are at work in our members to bear fruit for death. I'll use the example I often do. Your children are at home, and you need to go out into the garage, and you tell them, while I'm gone, do not go in the basement. Well, as soon as you walk out the back door, these little kids, he told us not to go in the basement. What's down there? And sure enough, they'll often disobey and go into the basement. Just test it out on a child. Tell him what not to do. Leave the room, and you'll see that they love to rebel even against their parents, whom they love. And their sinful passions are aroused by the law, because nobody's going to tell me what to do. Verse 6, Paul's going to give the contrast. But now we are released from the law. What does that mean? See, a lot of people think we don't have to obey the laws of God anymore that are in the Bible. We're living by the Spirit. The Spirit tells me what I'm to do and what I'm not to do. Well, that's ridiculous. Because the Spirit is not one to inform you apart from the Bible. The Spirit works through the means of grace. And the Bible is a means of grace. We talk about it as the third use of the law. The first use is the government use to keep down riots. The second use is the church's use to accuse a person of sinning and they are in need of a savior. But the third use is for Christians who ask the question, what is God's will for me? right now and that's where the bible informs us what god's will is 
the difference from being under the law is that when we obey the law as an unbeliever, we do so out of self-interest, and it bears fruit for death. But obeying the law as a believer, we do so out of love for Jesus Christ, and it bears fruit for God. So verse 6 But now we are released from the law. What does Paul mean by that? Having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. See, that needs explaining. Because it appears like we don't have to follow the written code We just follow what the Spirit tells us within us. But notice what verse 6 says. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. What does that mean? Well, God said it to Adam and Eve. In the day that you sin, death is the result. We are captive to not obeying the law with the consequence of having death as a result. It is that death that holds us captive. That is what we have been released from. How are we released from death as a consequence of our sin? Through faith in Jesus Christ, We know that he died in order that he might pay for the punishment of sin accountable to me and to you. He paid for that sin. It is that accountability from which we are released. We're not released from the law as a written code to be obeyed we're released from the fact that when we break that written code, death is the result. That is the captivity from which we have been released. So verse 7, what then shall we say? Now, what Paul's going to say next is what common sense kind of tells people. After hearing that the law bears fruit for death, Shall we say that the law is sin? You see, apart from breaking the rule of the law, we would never have death. Paul explains, by no means is the law sin. Yet, if it had not been been for the law, I would not have known sin. Ooh, that's really important. How did the knowledge of sin come about? The old evil foe, the devil, moved us to rebel when we heard the law. Rebellion is just a form of sin 
against God himself. So now Paul is going to give an example. I would not know what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now, now what's coveting? Coveting is desiring to have something through which you have no right to have. Uh, For example, it might be your neighbor's wife. It might be his house. It might be his car. It might be his occupation. You covet it. And, And therefore, you will do things in order to get what you should not have. And you learn that because it said, you shall not covet. Well, nobody's going to tell me not to covet. Verse 8, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. This is really important to remember in the raising of children, that... It's one of the reasons I'm really against giving sex education to children in primary school. Because when they hear of these things, you know what a girl and a boy should not be doing, they immediately have a desire to do it. Because they're rebelling against the law. In the same way that Paul says... When I heard that I should not covet, wow, the law produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Now notice, it's therefore not the law that is the sin. Listen to the end of verse 8. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. Yeah, I don't think we realize that a lot of times, that the law wakes up sin within us because of our desire to rebel against the will of God whether that will of God is part of the Ten Commandments, whether it's part of the civil law, whether it's part of what parents are teaching us, boy, when we hear that commandment, sin comes alive. And even if we don't do it, remember the Sermon on the Mount? Thou shalt not kill. Well, you may not kill anyone by violence, but you may hate them to such a degree that you wish you could kill them or you say a bad word against them. So sin comes alive by thought, word, and deed. And that sin results in the the result of death. Death is the result of sin. In other words, it's not the law that results in death. It's my sin against the law. Verse 10, Romans 7. 
the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. That's really found in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes through a lot of the commandments, showing we sin by thought, word, and deed. And therefore, they lead to death. And where does the commandment promise life? Well, at the end of that Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, if you follow these things, then you will be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. See, that seems to give the impression that if you're perfect like the Father, you will be saved, and you will save yourself. So you try to obey the commandments, and and there are people today, if you ask them, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And they'll respond by saying, oh yeah, I'm not as bad as some other people I know. See how they look to their works? It's not the law that kills us. It's sin. Verse 11. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. See, sin saw an opportunity to do what is natural to us, to rebel against the will of God. And it is what is killing me, not the law. Verse 12, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. You see, when we get to heaven, will there be any law? Absolutely. There will be the will of God expressed, I don't know how, but it will be expressed also in heaven. But in heaven, it not only continues to be holy, but it will lead to us being righteous and good spontaneously because of our love for Jesus Christ. So the law is good. Paul is going to underscore that again in verse 13. It's the last verse of our text. Did that which is good then bring death to me? That, that's the same thing he said in verse 7. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. And similarly in Verse 13, he says the same thing. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. Well, what brought death? It was sin producing death in me through what is good, namely the law. Because when I heard the law, I was not happy. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And also the law tells us things that we think are going to make us happy, like having more money, even if we have to steal it, in order, therefore, that we hear the law. It produces death in me through what is good 
in order that sin might be shown to be sin. That's really good. The purpose of the law is not, as every other religion in the world teaches, to know what to do so that God will love you and save you. No. The purpose of the law is to show you to be a sinner. And listen to the last part of verse 13. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. That's just excellent. That's the purpose of every sermon. To show that if you're trying to get to heaven by your obedience, you will soon find yourself to be sinful beyond measure. And the only thing that can loosen that measure is the cross of Jesus Christ. On tomorrow's Long Gospel with Mark Smith, we will then be talking about a hymn that's affected by Romans 7, Let Us Ever Walk with Jesus. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening to Law and Gospel. Tune in tomorrow. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.